Man, it's good to see y'all tonight. Hope everyone's having a great day. I am dying from uh, allergies. I don't know if anybody else is in that. Something about uh, being in West Texas when it rains, all the plants are like, oh my God, we got all the pollen. Get it out. And it goes right into my face and makes me want to just take a nap, really. Is anybody else? Yeah, that's like my response to all kinds of stress. Physical stress, emotional stress, just nap, you know? Anyway, on that note... I'm caffeinated and all antihistamined up, so we'll see if this comes out coherent. Anyway, um, so open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to one of my favorite parts of the Bible, which is the beginning before everything went wrong, right? Amen and amen. A lot of people like to study the uh, end times. I like to study the beginning times because that's when things were actually worth looking at. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to go Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, and I think, hopefully we'll have it up on the screen for you. Uh, if not, then uh, I hope you have your Bible. If you didn't do that, use the internet, Google. Anyway, okay. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, just understand what you want to say to us. Lord, I pray that we would apprehend the truth that you have here, God. And it would become our own, Lord. It would become ingrained into who we are, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to us powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if y'all remember, we're in the middle of just a little three-part mini-series, right? Um, We're doing the three R's. Y'all remember that, right? The three R's? Okay, the first one was reading, right, or real devotions. Second one was relationships, all right? The third one is real responsibility, and Ryan will be talking about that next week, so buckle up. Who doesn't love talking about responsibility, right? Yeah, I don't. Anyway, um, that's why Ryan's doing it. Um, Okay, so you may hear us use different kinds of shorthands, right? We say reading, relationship, responsibility, right? The three R's. But sometimes we'll throw the word real devotion in front of it. Real devotion, real relationships, real responsibility. The reason why we do that is because it's not enough just to read, right? It's not enough to read the, the Bible or have a devotional life, but it, it has to be self-initiated. And that's what real means, right? It's a reality to you. It's your thing, not a thing you do because of the culture you're in or because your mom and dad taught you to, but something that's yours. Does that make sense? Y'all with me on that? All right. Um, And so we make that distinction for a very important reason, right? Because these three areas are the three key areas for spiritual health and growth. You will not grow in the Lord if you're not doing these three things, right? And if any one of these things dies, the other two will follow it quickly, right? You stop getting around people, you stop being in a relationship. Well, you're going to stop having a devotional life and you're going to stop being responsible, right? It's just going to happen. Right? And the same is true for all the others. So last week, Nestor talked, Nestor talked about uh, real devotions, and that was so good. I hope y'all listened and took notes, because he said some amazing things. Like, 
the Ian Bounds quote, God wants better men, right? The Holy Spirit not, doesn't move through machinery, but through men, men of prayer. I took a picture of that, saved on my phone, because that's an awesome quote. Also, side note, if you want to read E.M. Bounds, you can buy his books for less than a dollar on Amazon. Just throwing that out there. So, yeah, just part of the first R was reading, right? So, it's, open a book. They're not scary. They don't, like, close automatically. You won't, like, get bitten. It's really cool. Anyway, it's not like Harry Potter books, you know? Anyway. All right, so tonight we're talking about real relationships, okay? And admittedly, the scripture that we started with is a weird one to talk about. And I'm sorry, but there's just some cool stuff in here I want to pull out and talk about, right? But this one, typically you're like, Scroggins, why are you talking about the first marriage before we talk about relationships, right? Are things about to get really awkward? Probably, but not because of the scripture, it's because I'm talking. Anyway, right? So... I wanted to use this because the first marriage is the ideal relationship, right? Before sin entered the world, before brokenness happened, this was the ideal. This is how humanity was intended to interact. And so for us to bring heaven to earth, to be representatives of Jesus, we need to know what he intended in the beginning. Does that make sense? Okay, y'all are with me. Cool. All right, so I want to tell you about a foundation, foundational relationship in my life, okay? So we all have relationships, right? We all need them, okay? And certain points in our life, we'll have one that just kind of jumps out, like that's, that's my friendship from that time, right? So for me, in my childhood, it was my one and only friend, and I'm not exaggerating that, my one and only friend, his name was Orion, okay? Not like Orion, like the, like the you know, Irish last name, um, no, it was like his parents were hippies and named him after the constellation, right? And so Orion and I bonded because we both had really weird names, right? And, and our parents were best friends, right? So his mom and my mom were like BFF, right? And any of y'all ever have like your mom had that friend, but, but their kid was like awful and you hated them? Y'all ever have that? Yeah, like I think everybody, were you like, oh, do we have to go hang out with him? He's always weird. He eats his boogers or whatever, you know? It's like the kid sits in the corner and just rocks, and you're like, you want to play Legos? You know? Please don't kill me. Anyway, um, but Orion and I, we hit it off, right? We were actually buds. So I remember five, year old, five years old, we met at a summer camp, and it was just game over. We were like, you're crazy? I'm crazy? Let's be crazy, right? And we took off running through the field, and our counselor was like, where are you going? Anyway, but Orion and I were best buds all through elementary school, right? And our friendship was just marked by awesome adventures, right? Going down to the creek and daring each other to run down the storm drain and see who would go furthest, you know? It's like, oh, I saw a skeleton, you know? And you're just, you're dumb, you're young, you're kids, you're having fun, right? And that was Orion and I. He was the first friend that I spent the night at his house. He was the first friend that spent the night at my house. He was like my first friend where I was allowed to ride my bike to his house by myself without mom creepily following me in the car like 10 yards behind. You know what I'm talking about. How many of y'all had that? Hands up. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chase, you didn't have that. Your town was like 10 miles long. Your mom just opened the door was like, he made it. No one's buying that. <laughs> okay, but the hallmark of Orion and I's friendship was one incident, right? Our families to this day, it's been 25 years, but to this day our families still refer 
to this one moment, okay? So I'm going to set the stage for you. Ready? Because this is like one of the highlights of my life. You want to understand childhood scroggins? This is it, okay? So, right? My parents had just gotten divorced. All sad, right? My mom's super insecure because she has to go back to work, okay? This is the first day of summer where my mom's going to work and she's leaving the kids at home, okay? Orion and I are 11 years old and full of wisdom, okay? And we made the best choice that any pair of 11-year-olds could make, all right? We decided to make smoke bombs, See, the day before, we had discovered this floppy disk, because this is way back in the day. We discovered a floppy disk under his brother's bed that was called the Anarchist Cookbook, okay? You can find this stuff on the internet now, but, but back then, that was like incredible, right? So we found it under his brother's bed. We put it in the computer. We're like, oh, this is so cool. We can make stuff blow up, Right? And what 11-year-old doesn't want to do that, right? Well, maybe girls. I don't know. What do you want to do at 11? Braid your hair? I don't know. Anyway, so, so we print off the pages and then put the disc back where we found it, right? And so we're, not, we're, we're like not stupid, so we don't like buy the like pipe bombs or something. But the smoke bomb seems reasonable, right? So we plot this out. Like, mom's going to be gone all day. You come over to my house, right? And we're going to do this, okay? And so... First, we do it, like, wisely, okay? Kind of. We're 11. It's not wise. But we, we had a small fire in a coffee can, right, in my backyard where the grass was dry and dead. And we, we mixed the ingredients and put a wick in it, let it cool. It was in a little tin. It was awesome. It worked perfectly, right? We'd been in Boy Scouts enough to know how to start a fire, right? Not put it out, but how to start one, right? And so then we, we light it, and it's like... It was awesome. It was so cool, right? Like this huge amount of smoke comes out. It's in the backyard. It's safe. You know, no one called the police. And, and so it was awesome. And then we're like, that was cool. But what if we make it twice as big, right? And Orion's like, hey, if we do that, we're going to have to move inside and do it on your stove. <laughs> of course we are. Get the stuff, right? And so we move it on the inside, right? And so we got double the amount of stuff, right? And and it's in this small little can that we're using. We're using like a tuna fish can, right? It's this tiny little thing. And, and so we put it on the stove. Now, the instructions said low heat. But low heat is for suckers, right? High heat is how you get things done, right? And so we crank that heat up all the way, you know? And, and it starts bubbling. We're like, okay, we need to stir it. So we're like, where's something to stir with? Because you're not prepared. You're 11, right? And so we grab a spoon and turn around to stir it. And then it ignites, Okay, so out of this tuna can that's maybe three inches wide comes a six-foot column of flame. Just (laughs) scorches the ceiling in my kitchen, right? There's just a black spot up there, right? And smoke goes billowing throughout the whole house. I mean, fills the house with smoke, right? Have you all ever set off a smoke bomb? Like, imagine two of those in your house. It was awesome, okay? But entirely not awesome. And as it's burning, it is spewing the byproduct, which is carbon, okay? So melted carbon is then congealing on my mother's aluminum stovetop, right? So y'all know where this is going, right? You're smarter than 11-year-old me, right? Anyway, it's crazy. Okay, so when this happens, we have two more hours before my mom gets home, okay? 
So we're in full-on panic mode. We run through the house. We turn every ceiling fan on, like, lift-off mode. You know, all of the windows are open. The sliding glass door is open. My sister, who's 15 and supposed to be watching us, like, opens her angsty teenage door and goes, you guys are in trouble, and then closes it, right? Thanks, Steph. Big help, okay? I grab my little brother. He's eight. I grab him by the neck, and I'm like, if you tell mom, I'm going to end you, Right? And so we go about, we just scramble to clean everything, right? We clean the whole house top to bottom. I'm talking like I'm doing windowsills, like we're pledging the piano to make it shine. We're making sure no stone is unturned, right? The whole time I'm scrambling to clean the house and air it out, Orion is trying to scrub the carbon off of the, the surface of the stove, right? He's like scrubbing, 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 and it won't come off. And he's like, Chris, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. How do we get this off? And me, being the genius I am, I go, I know. I grab a spoon from the drawer, flip it over, and begin to chisel it off of the stove. It comes right off with the paint. It's perfect, right? So the only evidence by the time my mom gets home that anything has gone wrong is a huge black scorch mark on the ceiling. Who looks up, right? It's fine. And gouges like the freaking Grand Canyon all across the stove, right? So my mom comes in. My little brother immediately runs up to her and goes, I didn't eat all my lunch. I'm sorry. She's like, what? I don't care. Okay. So he gets his stuff out of the way because he knows what's coming, you know? (laughs) My mom comes in. She's like, oh, you'll clean the house. Thank you. Now, imagine my mom's mindset, right? You got to think about it from her perspective. Insecure, scared, worried, concerned mother leaves her darling children at home alone for the first time ever. She comes home and the house is immaculately cleaned. Right? She's thinking, oh my gosh, I have raised my children so well. Right? She's just over the moon. Right? And she's like, thank you so much for cleaning the house. You're so sweet. We're like, thank you. You're welcome, mom. Would you like to go to your room and lay down quickly? You know? She didn't. She went to the kitchen. Right? And she's in the kitchen. She looks around. And I remember Orion and I were in the living room and we're looking at each other like, we just might have done this. We may have pulled off the greatest thing in the history of mankind. They will sing ballads about us ages from now. And then we hear, Christopher Adam Scruggins, get in here! And you know when your mom does the middle name and the high octave, you're dead, right? It's just, you're dead, you're done, it's over, right? So me and Orion walk in there knowing what's gonna come, right? Orion, being the good man that he is, And the good friend steps up and says, Mrs. Scroggins, it was my fault. It was my idea. I take all the blame. And she just looks him dead in the eye and goes, Orion, go home. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever had your mother tell your best friend, go home? You know you're about to get whooped. I mean, like, I don't want eyewitnesses to this because they'll call the CPS whooped, right? And my mom, whew, so she was angry about it because she heard the word bomb and thought that we were like trying to blow up the house or something. And she threatened me. She said, I'm going to call the FBI. And then, okay, so look, me, I'm not an intelligent person. And my response at 11 years old was completely being logical. And I said, well, mother, I'm a minor. So wouldn't the FBI arrest you instead of me? Whoop! You know, (laughs) I deserved it. Okay, I deserved it, right? 
But that was the moment. That, that is Orion and I's friendship, right? And that moment, that friendship between me and Orion was essential to who I am now, right? In that story, I'm sure you heard stuff. You're like, yeah, okay, it makes more sense now, you know? You inhaled a bunch of chemicals. That's what's wrong with you. No, right? And so that was just that essential, necessary, amazing friendship, right? It was key to my development to who I was, okay? Have you ever met those kids that didn't have those friendships like that? Like the homeschool kids? And you're just like, I don't know what to do with you right now. They just kind of stand there like they're afraid of you. You're like, would you like to eat the hot dog? No? I'll just see myself out, you know? But without those friendships, you know, you're not, a, you're not like a whole person. You need those, right? And so here in Genesis chapter 2, we have the blueprint, right? The non getting whooped by your mom, non-making smoke bombs in your house version of a friendship, okay? And there's a couple things that I want to pull out of it, okay? The first thing that we notice in this passage of Scripture is, one, the necessity of relationships, right? The necessity of relationships. So previously in the Bible, previously in the Bible, um, I don't know why I just said that, but it's made me think, like, I sound like a TV guy, previously on the Bible. Anyway, but before, God says things are good. He looks on the earth, and he says things are good seven times, right? He says things are good seven times. The light was good. The earth was good. The sky was good. Man was good, right? Until this point, we see the first time that God looks at something and says, that's not good, right? So God sees something that is needed in his creation, Does that make sense? Right? And so he says that because he knows that it is not good for man to be alone. Right? And here's the first little sub point to the necessity of relationship. Without relationship, you become isolated. And isolation always leads to insanity. Isolation always leads to insanity. Right? Like Scroggins, that's an extreme statement. You're right, but it's true. Okay, so have you ever noticed how the craziest people are always the loneliest people, right? The guy that lives on the, in the cabin in Montana and wears a tinfoil hat, he never has a ton of friends, right? He's not like the socialite butterfly, right? No, no, no. He's always isolated, right? The woman that has 20,000 cats and thinks that it's a healthy thing, she's always alone, right? Isolation always leads to insanity. And I learned this the hard way when when I was small group leading, right? I had this one guy in my small group, and summer comes along, the end of the school year, and I'm telling my guys, hey, look, to have a good summer, you need to read. So just read, right? Read any book about Jesus, okay? So this guy finds some book that will remain nameless, because I don't want you all to read it either, okay? But he finds a book by this medieval monk, okay? And he cuts off contact with us. He, like, won't return our text messages, you know. Like, all of us are in a text group talking and stuff. And he doesn't participate. He just isolates himself with, alone with this book, which is, you know, on paper a good idea, right? But when he comes back to school the next fall, he's just weird. He's just, like, lost it. Okay, so this is a true story. I'm not exaggerating, okay? You can ask my wife. This is true. He came back and refused to speak. 
the only talking he would do is to go, hello. He would only whisper like this. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What is wrong with you, right? And he said, he was like, over the summer, God did something so precious in me. If I speak too loudly, it will break. What? Can you say that again louder so you can hear yourself? Right? It was just nuts because isolation leads to insanity. There was no one around him to help him, right? Filter stupid thoughts. It's true. Why are y'all laughing? Anyway, it was a hard time, right? Isolation leads to insanity. We need people around us, it helps us, right? God looked upon the earth and he said, It's not good for man to be alone, okay? The second big point that we see here is the benefit of real relationships. Not only is it needed, but it's beneficial, right? Not only is it good, but it's excellent. Does that make sense? So here we read like God took his rib, right? Now in the Hebrew, the word for rib here is, it's a really poetic translation to call it rib. The only two times that it's called rib is actually in this passage, right? But the Hebrew word actually means something bigger than rib, right? It meant like the whole side of something. If you were talking about a building that had a room to the side of it, you would call that thing the Hebrew word for rib, right? So we're not talking about an insignificant portion, okay? This is a major portion. So God took a major portion of Adam to create his Eve. Does that make sense? So the implication that God is making here is that we are incomplete without one another in our lives. We are incomplete without one another in our lives. Right? And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Right? He says, We're, we are a body. We are the body of Christ. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? And therein lies, that little statement is one of the most dangerous statements that you can make. Right? Because not only is it needed, not only is it beneficial, right? To go against what is needed and beneficial is crazy. To say that you don't need somebody in your life, to say that they don't have a benefit in your life is wicked. Y'all understand that? Let me expand on this a little bit. I'm going to ask a couple rhetorical questions. Well, one rhetorical question, really. That attitude that says, I don't need you, right, is an attitude of ungratefulness, right? Ungratefulness is that is the poison of your spiritual life. When you, stop become, when you stop being grateful, you're headed down this track that you won't like, right? Okay, so here's what I mean. I'm going to expand a little bit so, so that maybe that'll drive it home, okay? So when was the first sin, right? Everybody's like, the garden. Duh, we just read that, right? Like we're, we're like in, in the same book. The Garden of Eden, that's the first sin. It's not. It's not. The first sin was when the devil fell, when Satan sinned in heaven. So here on earth, we can say, hey, uh, I, I sinned, I fell because I was tempted or influences or whatever. But it seems like the Bible's telling us that you don't need temptation. You don't need bad influences to sin. You need ungratefulness. See, the devil was 
in heaven, right, which is perfect. He couldn't say the guy in charge was bad because it was God, right? He created everything, right? He couldn't blame the people around him, right? He couldn't blame the people around him because everyone around him is an angel, right? What did the devil do? He said, I have no need of you. He said, I can do this on my own. I don't need anyone around me. He became ungrateful. And ungratefulness makes you prideful. And prideful is the first sin. Y'all tracking? Right? And so when you become ungrateful and you start on those greased rails straight down to pride, the only break you have, the only way to stop is to be grateful for the people around you. To not just say, I need you, but to say, you benefit me. Because gratefulness is infused with humility. Because when you say you're grateful for someone else, you are lowering yourself. And Andrew Murray says, God's spirit, like water, seeks to fill the low places. So you need to have a heart of gratitude. Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis, I think, says, explains it best when he, he explains why we should be grateful, Right? And this is so beautiful. I just pulled the whole quote, and it's large and long, and I'm sorry, but just stick with me, okay? He says, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald... Having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness to the resemblance, to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates the, the, that unique vision to all the rest, that says an old author... That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. The more we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. It's the upside down kingdom. It's this this counterintuitive principle, counterintuitive to us. But the real principle of heaven here is the more that we give ourselves to one another, the more we truly have of ourselves. Does that make sense? See, we find in one another something of God's character that is completely unique. You've heard me say it before, and I'll keep saying it till my dying breath. But you are a unique, finite expression of God's infinite character. And to not value one another as such is foolishness and stupidity. You don't just need one another, but one another shows each other a beauty of heaven that you would not see otherwise. You cannot do it alone, and you should not do it alone. And the last thing that jumps out to me out of this passage is something that was really shocking as I really dug into it. But it's the intensity of the real relationship that God had in mind. Okay? So here, the word helper, 
or helpmeet is more appropriately translated as rescuer, right? It says that God made a helper for Adam. But a better translation is rescuer. The Hebrew word there is azer, okay? And azer is only used like 20 or 21 times in the Bible. Two of them are here in this passage, speaking of Adam and Eve's relationship, Eve's relationship to Adam specifically. But the other 18 or 19 times, it's talking about God's relationship to Israel or God's relationship to a specific person. Some examples that I pulled, just two of them. Psalm 33, verse 20 says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our rescuer and our shield. Psalm 115, verse 9. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their rescue and shield. So that's what we are to be to each other. Not just a necessity, not just a benefit, but a rescue. There is a degree of salvation to be found in one another. Why do you think Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, but the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself? Because we are to rescue one another. But what are we rescuing? What are we rescuing from, right? Well, if you're tracking, you might have picked up on this. The first thing that we rescue each other from is bad ideas, See, Francis Schaeffer says that the battleground that Christians fight on isn't a physical realm, right? But what we're fighting are bad ideas and bad attitudes. So we fight with good ideas and good attitudes. Do you hear me? Good attitudes, okay? Y'all hold me accountable on that. I'll do the same, right? So the first thing that we rescue each other from is bad ideas. Like my small group guy, If we were together, if he hadn't isolated himself, do you think that he could have been rescued? Yeah. If he had opened himself to friendship, if he had seen the necessity of relationship, then those ideas would have been sifted out because I would have brought some light to the situation that he didn't have. Does that make sense? Next thing is bad attitudes, right? How many of you have had a friend that just started just stinking with pride and arrogance? And if you really loved him, you would say something, right? And sometimes you have to save one another from yourself. You have to rescue each other from ourselves. Sometimes, because thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to habits, habits lead to character, Sometimes our character is rotten and it needs to be cut out or taken away. And that's our job as brothers and sisters here in Chi Alpha in the body of Christ is that sometimes we need to say the hard thing to one another. Sometimes we need to be honest and honesty can be painful. So here's a rule of thumb. You have to love someone's future more than you love their feelings. You have to love someone's future more than you love their feelings. If you have a friend and you're afraid to say something to them, you're not really a friend because you don't care enough to stop them from going down a bad path. So the band can come back up. So as we have a relationship with one another, 
we need to have the mindset of a rescuer. We need to view another person as beneficial and needed. But we also have to have in our hearts this idea of rescue. That we must be willing to fight for each other's futures. Fight for each other's characters and eternity. Right? So one of my best friends, he's a retired missionary. One day I was hanging out at his house and he was just, you just ask him one or two questions and you try and like get him talking, right? And then if you're smart, you bring something to write with and you scribble down notes as fast as you can. If you're really smart, you bring something to record with. But if he knows you're recording, he won't talk anymore. So you gotta be sneaky, right? He's one of my best friends, right? And I remember one time he was just talking about when he started a youth ministry in Ireland because he's been literally all over the world, right? I, I remember I, was, I met a person at a summer retreat that had met a person in Norway that knew our friend. It was just like, what on earth? Anyway, but um, I remember he was talking about this youth group that he started in Ireland. And he was talking about when he first met all the kids in the group. And he sat there and he said, you know what I said in my heart, Scroggs? And I was like, no, I don't, but please tell me. He said, I said marriage vows. I said for richer or for poor, for sickness and in health, for better or for worse, over my dead body will I let you live a stupid life. And that's the idea. When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is praying for us to be one. That's what he's talking about. For one of your friends to walk away from Jesus, not only should they have to crawl over Jesus' corpse to get to hell, but they should crawl over yours too. They should have to fight tooth and nail to live a stupid life. Do you understand that? And that's my prayer for us is that when we have real relationships, that's what we have. Is a family here that will not allow one another to live a stupid life.